all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I trust you are having a beautiful week and that this podcast lands on good soil today in your heart. It's my favorite time of year. Fall festivals have begun around our small town, and finally, the weather is cooperating, at least for the most part, to give us what we all want. The other day, Nathan showed me a video on Facebook by a group called It's a Southern Thing. And the title of the video was When It's Fall in the South. And it's where this gal wakes up on the first day of fall and she grabs her favorite sweater and her orange floral scarf. And she's obviously pumped that she's finally getting to wear it. She switches out all of her various spices in the kitchen for this one gigantic jar of pumpkin spice. She then adorns her dining room table with a quintessential orange pumpkin spice candle. She throws on her Ugg boots to head out of her fall-wreathed adorned door, only to meet the deafening sound of cicadas and insects and what appears to be two guys just dripping with sweat headed back from the pool with a beach ball. (laughs) It's so true when it's fall in the South. Hopefully the weather will truly cooperate and start bringing us the real thing. I wanted to thank you all so much for your prayers concerning our little Annie Rose. When I posted that on Instagram, I absolutely had no idea that we would receive the response that we did, and we felt literally covered with prayer, like a full-on village surrounded us from literally all over the world. And that, I must say, is the redeeming part of social media, and I can't tell you how much we needed to feel surrounded in that moment. It was huge for us, so thank you. The sickness that came upon Annie Rose honestly left as quick as it came on. It puzzles us still, all the why sort of around it happening, like how it just came out of nowhere. She was not complaining in the least of any kind of tummy ache, but suddenly just became very ill in the bathroom, which led to her passing out several times. She was as white as a sheet. It was hard to keep her coherent. And all I could do was literally run around the house trying to think of the next thing to do, saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We have terrible phone reception out here, as I've told you before. We do have a landline, but I wasn't thinking, and I use my cell phone. So when I was talking to the paramedics, I was having to stay out on the porch for fear that the call would drop. So I couldn't really keep checking in on her or let them know how she was doing because I was afraid I was going to have to start all over with the phone call. But after the phone call, I finally started to be able to form words to pray out loud over her. And of course, she actually was the most alert when I was praying out loud over her. The paramedics arrived and they gently started working with her and talking to her. They loaded her up and within about 10 minutes in the ambulance as we were driving, her color started coming back. And they gave her this Zofran, which is apparently magic if you've had food poisoning or a stomach virus or anything of that nature. And she wasn't sick to her stomach after that. And if you read on my Instagram, you'll remember that I told you that the EMT was so good with her. And he even joked with her that it was his very first time in an ambulance and that it was only his second week on a job. And Annie believed him, which was so precious. And she said to him, well, you're doing a great job, which just melted my heart. But he checked her blood sugar, he checked her blood pressure, her heart rate, her temperature, and everything you can imagine, and it was all normal. So by the time we got to the ER, she was fairly alert, still pretty confused, as were we, about what just happened, and they just kind of watched her. They gave her some Gatorade after a while. She kept that down, 
And honestly, she's kept everything down since. I will say this. I don't think that Nathan and I have ever felt more warfare around a season of our lives than we have this one. And I don't say that lightly. Just two days before Annie got sick, I had an acute UTI that had me crawling out of my skin. It was so painful. Then Annie's sickness came on. Later in the week, I went from one physical ailment to another. My mom and then my nephew were both admitted to the hospital the same night for two completely different reasons, but both were very concerning at one point. We are thanking Jesus that they are both okay and have been released. But that same day, my car battery got sick and died, and then this is just purely me whining at this point, but we came home from ball break to a fruit fly infestation in our house. Just the amount of annoying to about ruin your weekend altogether. So I was Googling how to make homemade fruit fly traps. (laughs) The best one I came up with, by the way, is about two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar in the bottom of a glass jar with like two tiny drops of dish soap. Somehow they get in it, but they can't get back out because the soap weighs them down. And the other one happened by complete accident. I left just a couple of sips of coffee in the bottom of my coffee cup that morning, and I left it out on the counter. And I think I seriously caught a dozen in there on accident. So who knew? But then came the text from our Ellie, our 14-year-old. It said, call Noah. And the next line says, he's saying it's an emergency. So I'm literally just like, hold me, Jesus. As Nathan tries over and over to get a hold of Noah, our 17-year-old, and he's not picking up the phone. Finally, we get a hold of him, and I can hear over the phone that he's talking fast, and his voice is shaking, and Nathan's trying to calm him down. I hear Nathan keep saying, Noah, are you okay? Are you okay? Then I hear him say, are the other people okay? So this tells me he's been in a wreck. And without going into a ton of detail, we're just praising Jesus today that our Noah is okay. And we are more keenly aware than ever that we are literally in a war. I remember the night of the release day for this lullaby project, Beheld Lullabies for the Beloved. And I crawled into bed next to Nathan, and I held his hand, and I just said, pray. And one of the things that was weighing on my heart to pray was that Jesus would be like a great big sandbag, that He would absorb all the weight of how He wanted to speak through these songs, that He'd take upon Himself how all the promises woven through the songs would reach people right where they are, I'm sure you've prayed Jesus be a sandbag prayers before. Maybe not those exact words, but I think you know what I mean. Jesus, just somehow bear the weight of what I'm holding or what I feel is weighing on me. Something kind of funny about me is that I'm a typical artist, and I'm being 100% honest with you when I say that I'd actually love to just kind of slide my projects like underneath the door to the world and just kind of let it out there and then just go hide somewhere. I actually really mean that. (laughs) If you know anything about the Enneagram, which I don't know much about it, and I don't really know if I want to know much about it, but I do know that I'm a four, which is apparently shocking to my friends for some reason. So I've taken the test multiple times and in multiple ways, and I'm a four every time. There are different variations, of course, because we're all so intricately wired, but a four is what is called the individualist. Just a small part of the nuttiness of being a four is that while you love being different and an individual, you actually don't like it at all, all at the same time. You want to make a difference and bring beauty and truth to the world, but at the same time, with your delivery, you just also want to go crawl in a hole 
and not stand out in any way, shape, or form. But then if you go crawl in a hole, you're not making a difference anymore. So it's just all so dramatic. (laughs) Anyway, as this record has made its way into the world and into the hearts of many people, God is really doing a powerful work. And by the way, I hope you feel like you know me by now to know that I'm not telling you this as a way of promoting my record to you. I just want to blanket that over this entire thing. This is beyond that. To me, it's just so telling as to where we are right now as the church, as believers. The Holy Spirit is on the move. I have a sense that at the heart of it, He is healing us up for what is to come. I wonder if you're sensing this where you are too, in your church, in your community, in your small group. I wonder if you're sensing what I'm sensing, that the Spirit of God is truly on the move in a new way. It's been so beautiful to see that the things that I sensed and prayed that God was going to do through this record, things that I can't even really explain to you fully out loud, I'm getting letters and messages from people about God doing those very things, things that only God could have known. One general theme is simply that full-on adults are experiencing healing in places of their hearts through these lullabies that they didn't even know that they needed healing in. Kids are experiencing a deep connection with the Lord and asking questions that prompt conversations that are life-changing. And if I had to guess, some of you are seeing those kinds of things come into fruition too. Things you have longed and prayed for somehow starting to click into place and your heart is beating a bit faster and your palms are a little bit sweatier these days. And you just find yourself in this place of saying, God, I surrender all of this to you, and all at the same time, it's God to help me surrender all of this to you. So I think that's a little more insight into the weight that I felt all of a sudden as this project released. It's just a work so much bigger than releasing an album and it being a part of my career, my ministry. Suddenly I was just like, Jesus, be a sandbag to sop up all these stories and the tears and the healing and the glory, all of it. I realized, though, after Annie Rose got suddenly sick and I was panicking, that all of this comes at a cost. Suddenly, I was very sobered by the question, exactly what am I willing to lose for this? To pray these prayers, to sing these songs that say, no matter what may come, make my heart like a honeycomb, storing up the sweetest home for you and me, Jesus, till I love you more than anything. I was talking to a beautiful worship leader woman at a retreat last fall about songwriting, and she was telling me about her story. And she said, I started songwriting because I figured out that it was a way that my prayers could linger. That has stuck with me. It made me think back through the years of songs I've sung on stages literally thousands of times, but really they were prayers as I was praying all those years, big prayers, like the song, The Purest Place, that I've shared with you before. It says, do what it takes to keep me here. In the center of your heart, the purest place is where you are. Do what it takes to keep me here. I was suddenly shook to my very core that I can't sing these songs lightly because they're prayers I'm praying. And apparently the enemy hates songs that are prayers and he hates the people that sing and pray them. I remember my friend Beth Moore saying one time that the Lord has to allow the enemy to sift us, and the Lord won't allow the enemy to sift us unless something needs to be sifted. 
All week, I have felt a bit like the father of the boy with the unclean spirit from Mark 9 as he desperately wanted Jesus to heal his boy. He said to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says back to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And it says immediately that the father of the boy cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That phrase pretty much wraps up the last few weeks of my life. It wraps up today's podcast and pretty much my life, really. (laughs) I'll admit to you that I panicked in that bathroom with Annie that day. I panicked like someone who was all alone in it. But as soon as I started coming to my senses and I mustered up the words to start praying out loud, I don't even know if I was making sense. I was literally trying to form sentences as I essentially prayed with belief, asking Jesus to help my unbelief all at the same time. I just began to speak life over Annie and the Word of God that no weapon formed against her was going to stand that day. And it was at that point that she started waking up as if she was coming out of some sort of trance, still lethargic, but she was with us. And so was Jesus. Nathan was such a rock through the whole thing, holding Annie, working with her, talking to her gently, but firmly to get her to stay alert and calming her down while I was literally running around. (laughs) But since then, I've been able to reflect a little bit back on that moment, and I can see actually that Jesus was there with us, and I've been able to sort of even picture Jesus holding Nathan while Nathan was holding Annie. With Jesus firmly holding Nathan and Nathan firmly holding Annie, we were all being held. I have some warrior friends. One of them in particular is a force in the kingdom when it comes to prayer. And as soon as she knew about Annie, she was firing texts to me about what to pray against and how to go to battle. And she pointed out to me that it was no coincidence that Annie Rose was being afflicted. And many of you pointed out the same thing that it is her voice, in fact, that rises up out of that pitter-patter goes the rain song to declare, here I am, look at me, I'm all right, in the storm, I'm dancing to the rhythm of the rain. Like I said, the enemy doesn't like songs like this, full and free, and in fact, he hates the people who sing them. And if you saw my post that day, you'll remember Annie's shirt. It was one of my t-shirts that she sometimes wears, like a nightgown. It's big and super soft, but in the front of it, it happens to say, Not today, Satan. It wasn't until the paramedics were loading her in that I realized that she had it on. I closed my eyes, and I thanked God for His mercy. I thanked God that Satan doesn't get to decide. He has no authority. I thanked Him that anything we go through must first sift through the hands of my loving Father, and my father gets to decide. I was listening this week on our fall break drive to a podcast on the Ransom Heart app that I have, which is John and Stacy Eldridge's ministry. And they have a three-part episode on there called The Sustainable Life, which I actually highly recommend. It's very much the bullseye living that I talk about all the time, but broken down into really practical steps in everyday life. They talk about choices that are actually ours to make in our hearts, yes, but also in our schedule and in our daily lives. I got a lot out of it, and I was really refreshed by it. And one of the interesting things that John said was how our fatigued bodies and brains will sometimes get to the point where we are just like, I'm done. I need to quit my job. I need to clear my schedule for the next six months. I need to sell everything and go live in a tiny house by the river. 
he didn't really say that, but that's totally something I would think in my head. <laughs> but it was pretty timely because on my drive, I had already been thinking things like that. Like, I need a month off. I need a week. But the Holy Spirit came in through this podcast and just readjusted my heart as I asked Him even then just to restore me during that time. And He did. Turns out we just needed to go stay at a hotel for one night as a family. And honestly, it was enough. It was like the Lord multiplied the time as I was diligent to be present with what little we had in terms of a getaway. And another one of the things that struck me is that John said, he quoted Francis Schaeffer from his book, The Lord's Work, The Lord's Way, where he essentially says that when the Holy Spirit is involved in a work that we are a part of, in fact, the more the Holy Spirit is involved, the greater the cost is to the believer. This is Colossians 1 kind of talk where Paul talks about filling up in the flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church. Every time I read this verse, I feel like I'm barely hanging on to what it really means. But at the same time, I feel like I have these moments where I just get that all of a sudden. And this week has definitely been a taste of that for sure. I think the gist of it, I'm realizing, is that we have to bear some of the weight too. I think my prayer to Jesus that night for Him to bear all the weight, it's what every child wants. Every child wants their daddy to bear all the weight for them. Annie Rose still runs to Nathan's side when the thunder begins to boom outside in a storm or when she rides her first roller coaster like she did this past week on fall break. Only daddy will do in that moment. Our 14-year-old Ellie, she needs her daddy's strong arms around her for a good night hug. She needs to know that she's accepted and wanted and that she's huggable And she won't have to wonder what a man's arms feel like around her because daddy's hugs are familiar. And then there's Noah, our force to be reckoned with, who just needed to sit very near Nathan the other night after his wreck. We ended up going to dinner with a few close friends that night, but Noah could be found at the end of the table, very close to Nathan's side, talking about life and music. But just so I think that he could feel protected and innocent, And I think even just like a kid, after a very rough afternoon dealing with adult things like police reports and bashed up bumpers. Ultimately, Christ has conquered the world. He has shouldered the weight already on the cross. But when it comes to us being the very representatives of Christ, or as Maxie Dunham, author of The Intercessory Life, would say, we are representing Christ to the world with our lives. Such a beautiful way to say that we're His representatives. We are representing Christ to the world. And I'm learning that there is a cost for us because of the Christ in us. But all at the same time, this Christ in us is the hope of glory. It is the glorious in the mundane. Back to Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27, the message says, The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. Whatever you're carrying today, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. I have my own face in my hands telling myself this right now too. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Don't let your fatigued mind or body call the shots today. You might just need an hour away on a walk in the woods with Jesus. Take that time. Schedule it in. Literally ask Him in that time to restore your soul. Invite Jesus literally to renew you as you meet with Him. Your highest calling is to represent Him to everyone you meet. But remember, it really just looks like a child getting close to her father. You do bear some of the weight, but you will never, ever bear any of it alone. 
because He's with you. Well, as you know, lately I've been talking about the themes threaded through, and today's interview is definitely a theme threaded through for me. Even though I would call myself an artist, above all of that, I'm a worshiper, and so are you. You were hardwired, actually, to be a worshiper above all things today. Every day, you and I put on our worshiper skills. We put them into action. My prayer is just that Jesus will always be at the center of all of that, at the very core of my affections. I'd be lying if I said that I get it right every day, that He's always right in the center of all my adoration and affection. No, sometimes other things creep into that place. Today, I'm going to interview my pastor and my friend, Darren Whitehead, who just wrote a book called Holy Roar with our mutual buddy, Chris Tomlin. Now, if any of you have followed mine and Nathan's story, you know that Holy Roar is a theme threaded through. At the very beginning of our marriage, Nathan and I wrote a song called Holy Roar. This would have been back in 1996 that we wrote this. And at the time, Nathan was finishing school and I was teaching preschool to help him out through school. And then we'd write songs at night in our little apartment. And I might have shared this story before on this podcast, but you have to know that this was long before it was a thing for thousands of people to gather in stadiums and worship God together. This was before worship was a genre of music, really. I believe it was an authentic time of the Spirit really working in people's hearts in terms of understanding more about biblical worship in our everyday lives and in the life of the church as a whole. Every night, Nathan and I would write songs, songs that at the time— no one would hear. There was no platform really for us to share them on. We, in fact, didn't really fully understand what God was doing or what He was giving us in these songs. But we'd write, and I'd get up the next morning and head to my preschool post and Nathan to his finishing college post. One of those nights as we were writing, Nathan was playing a beautiful melody on the piano, and I closed my eyes. And this is the first time that I ever remembered this happening to me, but I saw a vision. It was a stadium full of people with their hands raised with this sense that their hearts were just fully open and alive to God. And there was this roar, this holy roar, like at a football game, but even louder, because there weren't two opposing sides. The roar was unified throughout the stadium. There was only one at the center of the adoration, and I knew it was Jesus. The words holy roar came to my mind, like I could almost see it spelled out in the sky in my mind's eye, and I just went face down in the carpet. I literally laid face down. It was a holy moment that I will never forget. I immediately started praying into what I saw, things like, Lord, let this be true of me. Let this be true of Nathan and I. Let this be true of our generation. Of course, I now know that it was truly a vision of things to come and that we would go on to actually be a part of getting to lead stadiums full of people making a holy roar. But what I love most with this theme threaded through is that what I've seen God do is go to great lengths to make sure that what we corporately and very publicly display is also what is true of us when we are tucked away where no one can see us. That this holy roar isn't just a public display of affection to Jesus, but it's also a very private display of affection all at the same time. In the moments that followed after I saw this vision, this song, this prayer that has lingered now for over 20 years in our lives began to take shape. These are the words. Trees of life are blooming. Your word plants the seed and we see it growing. Your kindness leading to repentance And we see traces of deliverance, 
Lord, thank you for mercy. Oh, can you hear it? It's the song of the redeemed, the pursuit of passion for the one who set us free. Oh, can you hear it? We're crying out for more. And listen to our song. It's turning into a holy roar. Rivers of renewal. Spirit, whisper a revival and send us rushing. Open hearts with hopes of unity. Servants to love in lost humanity. Lord, send us reaching. Oh, can you hear it? It's the song of the redeemed, the pursuit of passion for the one who set us free. Oh, can you hear it? We're crying out for more and listen to our song. It's turning into a holy roar. And the refrain says, and we come rejoicing and singing and crying out to you, Lord. Can you hear the holy roar? A while back, Nathan and I got a text from our pastor, Darren, asking for our blessing on him using the title Holy Roar for a book that he put together with our friend Chris on the seven Hebrew words of praise. Turns out that every time the word praise is used in scripture, it could actually mean one of seven different meanings of the word praise because sometimes, you know, things get lost in translation trying to get it to English. There's so much truth underneath all of this. You'll hear Darren share about more of it and how it's sort of like this beautiful secret language of worship that's being unlocked for us as the church to grow in our understanding of both our own personal praise in the mundane and our corporate praise together as a body of believers. I think this is going to be very insightful and useful to you. It'll help you grow and stretch in your heart understanding of what it really looks like to truly worship from your life. And yes, we actually need to learn to be free in our worship as we come together in our churches. And all at the same time, we need to learn to be free in our private worship as well. These mundane moments at the kitchen sink or at a stoplight on the way to work, we can learn to let these prayers that linger, these cries from our heart, lead the way in giving our hearts completely over to Jesus as we experience Him as the Beloved. In fact, that's one of the direct meanings of beloved in the Greek, one who is personally experiencing the agape love of God. Enjoy this interview. Well, I am so happy to be sitting with my pastor, (laughs) Darren Whitehead, which is actually still really surreal. Yes, it is. Because as we were just saying, we met on a bus Nathan and I went on a tour when I remember Noah was one. Yes. He's 17 now. So that was a little while ago. It's been a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, you were on the tour because everyone can maybe tell by now that you're you're Aussie. Yes. Um, what were you doing on that tour? You were- so, yeah. So Michael W. Smith was on that tour as well. That's right. And I was a youth pastor at the time. And uh, Michael's kids were in my youth group. So I, I was, didn't know any of yeah, yeah. So I was like Michael's kids' youth pastor, and uh, I, I was I, yeah. Well, I and I had not been in America very long, and like so many of us, Michael W. Smith's music was like the soundtrack of my Absolutely. teenage years. And so uh, I have a kid come up to me one day and go, "Hey, man, this is my dad," and uh, and he's like, "Hey, I'm Michael," and I'm like, "Wait a minute," <laughs> he's. He said, yeah, Michael Smith. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're Michael W. Smith. (laughs) 
Anyway, we, we began a friendship and uh, we ended up going on a ski trip together and all of that. And then one day he just calls me out of the blue and he says, I'm looking at doing a worship record. I've never done a worship record before. And um, it is, uh, it's going to be a collection of different songs. And there's this one song called uh, Let It Rain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said, in the middle of that, do you want to just do something? Do you want to pray or do you want to read something? Or he said, I just think it's going to be a big moment. And that was as much preparation as we put into that. <laughs> and then on the night, he's That's singing amazing. Let It Rain. And that day, I was just in the Psalms and I was reading Psalm 97, where it says, The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, mm-hmm. let the distant shores rejoice. And uh, so Smitty's doing this, doing this bit, and we were in front of 9,000 people in, in Lakeland, Florida. And, uh, and then he just sort of looked over at me, and I came over and I read Psalm 97. And if I had to reduce my life down to a collection of moments, that would be like top three Aww. really important moments of my life. Yeah. So uh, that turned into uh, a tour. This is way back when Time Life was doing those compilation records oh, yeah. and all of that. And, uh, and, and so they ended up doing a tour. And so um, Smitty asked me to come out and, and to do that on the tour. And that's how we ended up on a bus together. That's right. And yeah. I remember your... Um the spiky tips. Yeah, yes. <laughs> the yes. bleached. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I keep trying to tell my kids that they're once once a day where that was cool and they don't believe me. <laughs> um, it's so funny when I look back because you were not married at mm-hmm. that time. And That's so right. Nathan and I just thought you were just like, oh, he's just this immature guy. Seriously. He's not. Yeah. Now he's a married immature guy. <laughs> um, so back up a little bit and tell us um, how an Aussie started being a youth pastor in Franklin. Yes, Tennessee. yes, it's a it's a strange story. I worked in radio in Australia, and then I came over to the U.S. and uh, met a family who worked in the music industry, who originally from Australia. Uh, Rebecca St. James and her family. She's one of seven kids. And uh, I just became friends with this family and they, they said, you know, if you ever want to come to the U.S., you know, like we'd, we'd love to, you know, have you part of our community, you know, or even come, come live with us for a while. So um, I ended up finding a radio station or a radio station approached me in Nashville and said, you know, would, would you be interested in, in working with us? So I went to the American Embassy in Melbourne and I tried to get a work visa and... Um, and they told, first of all, they told me I wasn't eligible for it. And I stood in line. I said, can I apply anyway? And they said, sure. And then uh, when I ultimately got my visa, they accidentally gave me a pastor's visa. They gave me a minister's visa, a religious worker's visa. I'd never been a pastor. I actually understand the regulations of that visa now. I was not eligible for that visa. Oh I hadn't been to seminary. I'd never worked at a church before. But some... INS worker interpreted my <laughs> application as like, I'm a pastor. And um, so sometimes people ask me like, how did you feel called into the ministry? I say, the US government called me into this thing, you know? <laughs> and, and out of fear of deportation, I sure. just keep preaching every week, you know? <laughs> like, otherwise I could be out. So, oh uh, so that's how I ended up in the US and it's how I ended up being um, a, a youth pastor, in fact, I, I came and started working at the, the church that Rebecca's family were a part of. And, um, and I had to work at a church if I wanted to stay in, in the yeah. U.S. That's it was the true. only way I could stay. I mean, only <laughs> God can create a circumstance where 
if you don't do the Lord's work, you will get deported. <laughs> and that is my story. I love that so much. Okay, so even as your friend, this is a part, this is a gap in the story as well as how you met your wife, Brandy. Yes. Because she's a Brentwood girl, right? Like she, she is, yes. She's one of the rare Nashville Nashville people. Native. Yes, yeah. yes. So uh, I was now a youth pastor and Brandy was uh, going to, had gone to church with her family her whole life and her parents are professors at a Christian university and she just really wanted a fresh start. She was just kind of known as the professor's kids and or kid. And so she wanted a fresh start. So she wandered into our church one day on a Sunday and really loved it. And uh, this is in uh, 2001. Okay. So uh, she, she wanted to know our church, loved it. Well, her church tradition always had a Wednesday night service. So she came back on Wednesday and, um, and, and our church didn't have one except for a youth service. So someone said to her, are you looking for the service? And she said, yes, and pointed at where all the teenagers were. So she walks in and she's like, oh, okay. So she (laughs) said she was enjoying the music, so she sat there. So the way I tell the story, and because you know my wife, you know how much she eye rolls at this, but (laughs) when I'm preaching, I just know she looked up and she saw me and she said, he will be mine. Oh, yes, he will be mine. I will have his children. She doesn't think that's very funny, but anyway, we met that night. She was a social worker and, um, and she was doing beautiful work for the state uh, in downtown Nashville, working with um, victims of violent crime and sex abuse. Yeah. And um, I was pretty struck by her and her passion to just help people do the, do the work yeah. of the kingdom of God um, mm-hmm. in, in a secular environment. Yeah. And so we, she gave me a business card and we started at, um, talking a little bit. And I was actually, this sounds like a stretch, but it really wasn't. I was, I was dealing with uh, an abuse kind of situation that mm. had come up in our church. And as a youth pastor, you're a mandatory reporter. Right. And so I'd never dealt with this before. And so I actually asked her how to deal with it. So, wow. <laughs> <That's smooth. laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> So that's how we met, and uh, and we got married in 2002, so not long after the, the tour that we were yeah. on together. I started to say I was doing the math just then, and so you met her not long after. All yeah, I, actually, I, we were dating when we were on that tour because okay. I think the date we did in Chicago, she flew up for. Oh, gotcha. But we were, we're not engaged or anything. We were, gotcha. just, we were just dating. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, so you guys spent some time in Willow Creek. So yes. So you kind of moved from here. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit about that journey. And that's kind of where you had your three girls, right? Yes, yes. In 2004, um, I, I didn't know anyone at Willow. But it's interestingly enough connected to that tour again. Um, I became friends with uh, the, the Caveman's Cole guys, mm-hmm. Cliff Young mm-hmm. and Caveman's Cole were on that tour that we were on. That's right, yeah. And um, one day someone from Willow was asking, he's the son of a pastor of a large church, Second Baptist in Houston. And yeah. Someone from Willow was asking them about, you know, we're looking for a, a college pastor. Mm. And they suggested me. Mm. And the Willow guy was like, that's funny. I've never met this guy, but you're the second person to mention him. I'm going to give him a call. So he left me a voicemail and just said, hey, man, it feels like everywhere I turn, someone's suggesting that we need to talk and mm. you need to come and join our staff, you know. Would you give me a call? And so uh, I, I called Brandy. I'd just been at a conference at Willow which was really funny. But I said to Brandy, someone from Willow just called and said they're interested in, 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 
you know, want to know more about, would I be open to moving up there? She goes, well, that's really sweet. And I said, yeah. And then she stopped and she looked at me and she said, you're not seriously considering this, are you? <laughs> and that opened another thing. I, I knew that if, if God would speak to my wife, that that would be a kind of miracle that would be comparable to, you know, the resurrection. <laughs> and so she agreed and felt like God spoke to her really clear. And we went to Chicago and we were there for eight years. That's amazing. We count it in winters. We were there for eight oh, yeah. winters. Oh. And all three, I have three little girls, and all three of my daughters were born in Chicago. And it was a wonderful, wonderful era of my life. Yeah. I basically spent my 30s yeah. in, in Chicago gotcha. and, and learned so much about ministry mm. and um, about church, uh, about leadership. Um, yeah. It was a really, really important time. It's mm. amazing. Well, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about just what kind of brought you back here, plus just church planting, and then yes. there's been a merge. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, I just want to say, um, it's pretty neat looking at just, like, how our journeys have intersected yeah. and just that we're friends. Yeah. And um, so, you know, kind of around the same time or not long after, Nathan and I came back to this um, beautiful land um, in Franklin, Tennessee, and we were hearing stories, you know, because we're already thinking our three kids, you know, this is, they were, it was hard times to move them as yes. far as like, you know, Noah was going into his ninth grade year, yeah. Ellie seventh grade, Annie was third grade. She had a hard time to move kids. So we were already just, you know, praying, thinking ahead, just like knowing that um, the, one of the first things that, if not the first thing that we needed to do was literally just sort of hit the ground running with a church. And yeah. I knew like, and this is just from probably years uh, in the past of us, like, um, I mean, when the kids were really little, um, how we either like church hopped or we just, you know, in Nashville, there's kind of this vibe where it's like, oh, well, we minister on the weekends. And right. so just like, I'm going to stay home. And, um, and so we did, we weren't planted for a while, but we just, and I, I've talked about this before on the podcast of just putting one foot in front of the other and, and sort of. Um, resisting that urge sometimes because there is no perfect urge um, to, to sort of hop around and procrastinate or all these things. So we were hearing stories, which we were, we know now was the Lord, but like we were hearing these, you know, rumors of um, this church of the city and this merge that maybe was happening, but kind of along those lines at the same time, we knew of you that, enough of you to know that you were a worshiper yeah and that was one of the things that like we've always loved about having a pastor that is a worshiper because i feel like it it changes the whole tone of of everything when you have a a pastor who values that and gets it and like is that you know and then we you know i think just the bonus of that we have been your friend and like I think we're a little bit older than you, which is really weird. We've never had a pastor that we're like the same age. It's right. always been like this older, right, right, older right. guy, you know, so that's been like a fun aspect. But um, it's, I would just love for you to talk about some of those stories that we were hearing were about, yeah. um, you know, your love for revival. You were kind of studying the history of revival in Franklin, yes. which I love. And just tell about kind of, that time when that was sort of coming together and how the merger kind of like yes. happened. I love, I love this. All story. right. Well, first of all, <laughs> I, I want to say one of the things I love about you and Nathan is that you are those people that just real early on just said, we want you to know we're just in. Yeah. 
we're just we're just in. We're ready to put our, our roots down deep, yeah. and and of course, uh, there's no perfect church. Mm-hmm. But you guys would like we, we're just we're just ready to 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 use our gifts, and that's what you've done ever since you got here, and you've served and and you've invested your hearts and and your kids, and uh, it's just been. Um, really encouraging and beautiful and I, I love that about you guys. You are you are church people. Yeah. And um and, and I love that. Yeah, we've had a really unusual story. I um <clears throat> when I when I left Willow, there was there was definitely a part of me. I mean Willow's this famous church and I remember being on the stage the last day and Bill's praying over us and we're talking about going and planting a church and I, I, I definitely had this sense of like maybe the most extraordinary thing that I've ever got to be a part of is is in the rearview mirror now, mm, you know? Yeah. And there's just a sense of like, man, I, I, I have a, a profound awareness of how beautiful and how significant God's work has been in this church. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gone because I feel so clearly this is what God's calling me to do. But... You know, on the on the scale of like God just doing extraordinary things, you know, maybe I'm going to be talking about these days for the rest of my life. You know, yeah. like, well, yeah, but when I was back at Willow, you know, like, <laughs> so I don't know. That was, it was just a little bit of a sobering thought that I had. Yeah. So we felt really strongly we were supposed to plant a church uh, in Nashville. We were we were in Nashville earlier, as we we we'd mentioned. And in the almost 10 years that we were gone, the city reinvented itself. Yeah. It nearly doubled in size. Um, the universities and schools exploded and um, it became um, just this disproportionate gathering of the most unchurched age group in America. Yeah. So millennials, 20-somethings, are the least likely to attend church of any age group in the US. Mm. And there are 100,000 of them in school here right now. And 60% of them choose to stay after they graduate. So every year a new freshman class comes in and a new senior class spits out and they, the 60% of them stay. So you've just got this rolling ball of, of, of 20 somethings and you only need to go downtown into Nashville to just see it everywhere. So it was a different place. And, um, so we came and we really wanted to plant a church uh, in a place where we could reach those people. We planted in two two places on the same day, one in East Nashville and one in Franklin. One is in a poorer community and one is in a community that's a little more resourced. And that was sort of the dream. Like, mm. like the, it, it, it is not just the, the, the poor, the under-resourced that need the wealthy. The wealthy need the poor. Like, mm. there is just something about the beauty of, of, the, mm. of them together. Mm-hmm. So we, we planted these two churches and we were in schools and um, we, would, we would set up, do a service, tear it down, drive across the city, and then we would set up again <laughs> and do the service again. And uh, we had no trouble sleeping at night. You know? I mean, it, was, it was exhausting. <laughs> but it was really beautiful. I mean, we went from a church of 30,000 to a church of 30. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like Amazing. just the, the contrast yeah. of, of having teams of people and staff that are able to execute things and buildings and all of that to just being in our living room to begin with and just Mm -hmm. being a Bible study and some guy who can play four chords on a guitar, you know, Mm -hmm. which fortunately you can play every song with four chords. So, (laughs) so, but it was, it was really beautiful. And, and that began something. And, um, two years into our story, the church, 
that I had joined, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Their pastor transitioned unexpectedly and their elders came to me and said, would you be interested in merging our churches together? Mm. And um, my answer to that was, no. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm not interested in that. I mean, everything was going great with our thing. Um, there was just a lot of complexity that sure. would be uh, coming, and I just didn't really feel like it was the right thing. And again, God just spoke to us with such extraordinary clarity, which we don't have time to get into, but mm-hmm. it was it was the, the, the specificity and the way that God spoke to us, it was just undeniable. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that was about two years ago. And so I thought that church planting was hard mm-hmm. until I did church merging. <laughs> and uh, so, you know. That's, we, your, ne- that's your next book. Yeah, church right. Merging. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the first two years were hard. The second two years were harder. Uh, um, yeah. but in the midst of all of that, my goodness, what God has done has just been like nothing I could have ever imagined. Yeah. We inherited $7 million of debt. And, uh, I remember someone saying to me once, you know, in a Q and a in front of a bunch of people, you know, do you realize that the church has $7 million of debt? And I said, yes. And he said, well, how does your church feel about that? And I said, not very good. <laughs> And he said, well, what would you do about it? And I thought for a second and I said, pay it off as soon as we can, you know. And the whole place broke out in applause. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm glad you're applauding because you're the ones that are going to have to pay this off, you know. But it was like the spirit just sort of whispered to me in that moment. That's like amazing. These people are looking for leadership. Like yeah. they're just looking for a vision and like, That's great. like guide us. Yeah. We'll, we'll follow you if you guide us. Yeah. So our dream was that we would pay the church debt off $7 million in as quick as we could, like a mm. year. And in 14 months, we paid off every single dollar of that, that $7 million. That was an amazing day we were here. Yeah. Tell them just really fast about <laughs> the chainsaw. <laughs> like it was. Look, this is not really our style as a church. I mean, we're we're, we're not really like the outrageous, you know, like sort of doing big, strange gimmicks or anything like that. Yeah, it's just not our style, and we've never done anything like this. I mean, generally speaking, we're we're worship and teaching of the scripture. Yes, it's true. Um, But we just paid off seven million dollars, you know. Like, and and I, I had this sense that we needed to just like really mark the moment. And, uh, and, and one of the people that lives in town here who had been a voice of encouragement to me who about getting rid of debt, no surprises, <laughs> Dave Ramsey, <laughs> Dave Ramsey lives in town. So, so we had this crazy idea that we would make a credit card the size of a building basically. Yeah. And, uh, and then we would wheel that thing out. And then we would, when we were announcing that $7 million had been paid off, that we would count down, you know, five, four, three, two, one, and then shout, we're debt free. And we wheeled out this credit card the size of a building and then someone <laughs> cut it with a chainsaw. And then the chainsaw split open and there was Dave Ramsey holding the chainsaw. It was just really classic. So the place was going nuts and it was just like, again, not really our style to be that outrageous, but the celebration was just so um, meaningful to us. And, and we really felt like that God was setting us free of something, not just in the natural, but something in the spiritual as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. Um, we were spending a million dollars a year on on managing the debt. 
just debt servicing. So that was gone. And the dream was, what could we do if that was freed up, you know? Mm. So, um, yeah, that was funny. That was a, that was a memorable day. <laughs> it was a great day. Oh, I loved it so much. Well, um, I'd love for you to talk about um, this new book that's been released. It's called Holy Roar. Yes. A title that you're somewhat familiar with. I am. It's 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 so sweet. Again, just surreal. And it's just cool how the Lord... Um, I don't know. We just we talk about it a ton on the podcast. Just these these themes throughout our lives that he threads through, and just they come full circle in moments. He ties yeah. up loose strings. Like, yeah, it's just cool how um, even the Lord just revealing to me when we wrote that of just how he whispered those words to me. I didn't know it was one of the seven Hebrew words for praise. Yes, um, it's just so sweet. And that was twenty years ago when we wrote that song, and but here we are, and. Um, it was sweet. I remember the day that you texted us and said, hey, are you okay if I use this title, um, Holy Roar? Um, well, I loved your response, too, like when I reached out about that. Because if you'd said, you know, like, hey, I'd rather use something else, then that would have been fine. And your response, you and Nathan were like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, of course. Like, this is the Lord's word. This is the Lord's idea. Like, Absolutely. Of course you can. That's <laughs> wonderful. You know, that was, that was really, I was really grateful for your response on that. I did tell you to put our picture in it. You did. You yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. So it is. It, it is, is in there. Yeah. You and Nathan, <laughs> if, if you look at the center of the book, it's you too. Um, I love this book because, um, first of all, I have so many books right now on my like little docket to read. It's like there, there's a stack of them, but I love honestly like the size of this. Yes, it's um, it's doable for mm-hmm. people like me. I love that you could do this book as a devotional. Yes, like you could kind of go through it like as a personal journey of you know being a worshiper, and um, I also love that you could. It's like a reference. You could keep coming back to it. Yeah, there's stories behind the songs. Um, so. I, before we get into that, I would love just for you to talk about, I know you kind of talk about this in the book too, but um, just your own personal journey of yeah. becoming a worshiper. I've yeah. said that you're a pastor who's a worshiper, but like, yeah. what was that personal journey like? Yeah, it, this is a, this is, this. I guess, you know, sort of looking back, this is the book that I've always wanted to write mm-hmm. because it, it is so deep in my story. Mm-hmm. It's entrenched. Um I grew up in a, a, a small, conservative, rural church on the bottom end of Australia, mm. and amazing people in the church. Uh, but, but our worship tradition was not expressive. It mm. was not outwardly passionate. It was respectful and reverent and dignified, and we would sing hymns or we would sing choruses, and um, the singing time would get done, and then the sermon would come. Mm. And uh, one day, someone invited me to the other kind of church, <laughs> which I had been warned about. You know, right. they're swinging from the chandeliers. And mm-hmm. and it was my first exposure. And I came on in and the worship had already begun. And people had their hands raised and some people had their eyes squinted and some people had veins coming out of their necks and some people were bouncing up and down. And I had this distinct thought. Oh, these are not my people. <laughs> I felt honestly very uncomfortable with the whole space. You know, I, that was not my tradition, mm-hmm. and I, I felt kind of repelled mm-hmm. and attracted mm-hmm. to that environment. Uh, I was I was really uncomfortable with it, and I remember saying to a friend, "I'm really uncomfortable with all of this. 
I'll see you here next week. Right. <laughs> and, and that was the conflict that was going on inside of me, you know? And uh, over the course of time, I went from a guy with my arms folded to a guy with my, my arms raised before mm-hmm. God. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, eventually I couldn't help myself anymore and I changed teams and I became <laughs> among them, you know? Yeah. I, I, I became someone. And, and I think in one sense, and this is an imperfect distinction, but in, in one sense, I went from a singer to a worshiper. Yeah. And there, were, there was something that moved inside of me mm-hmm. and it became uh, a, an emotional, heartfelt experience for mm-hmm. me to mm-hmm. be bringing my affection before God. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was a really, really big part of, of sort of the transition for me. Mm-hmm. And from that point onwards, I've just been someone that loves worship. I love new songs. I love, uh, you know... The, the, the theology that we're able to like impress upon music mm-hmm. and I, all of that is, it's just my love language. It's the way I connect with Jesus. Mm. So when did this message of this book first start being formed in you and kind of how did that come to be? You know, uh, right at the genesis of it, uh, a, a dear friend of mine, John Tyson, who lives in New York and I were having a conversation on the phone. And, and he said, you know, I was, I was reading something and I, and I found some, some research on, um, you know, the, the translation of the, the English word praise. Mm. And, and he said, it looks like there's seven Hebrew words and they all mean something different. And that started me on this study journey. Mm. And I, uh, I consulted a, a Hebrew scholar, a guy mm. who lives in Israel and speaks fluent Hebrew. Mm. And... Um, and, and, and started sort of on this journey of breaking down all the different words and what the original context was and, and what they all mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in many ways, some people call it, a, it, it's a theology of praise. Yeah. Um, we all know, most of us know, that there are four Greek words for the, for the word love mm-hmm. in, the, in the New Testament. And they all mean something slightly different. And the, the, funny thing about the English language is that we love ice cream and we love our children mm. and we use the same word. Right. And there's a very wide bandwidth of that word. Yeah. Um, the word praise is, is similar. We've mm. got to remember that when we read the Bible in English, we're reading a translation of the original manuscript. Mm. And so there are some things, it's not a perfect translation. There are some things that are lost in translation. Right. And, and, and one of the examples is the word praise has seven different words and they're all translated just to the word praise. Mm. So, so studying these seven words was like uncovering treasure that was yeah. underneath the English language mm. that revealed so much about how we actually praise God, about mm. how we bring worship before him. Mm. So you preached this as a message. Yes. We actually were out of town that Sunday. I was really sad, but I was hearing about it from afar. Yeah. Um, just talk about that. Like, cause it was a message. It was, you know, obviously birthed in the way you just said, then it was a message. And then yeah, like, what was that Sunday like? And that Sunday was a turning point in our church's story and mm-hmm. in our church's history. Mm-hmm. And I had no way of knowing that that was going to be the case. Yeah. I mean, I, I preach a lot of sermons. I'm as surprised as anyone when any of them go well, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and that's rare. So um, on, on this particular Sunday, th- this was coming out of my heart and this was, this was content that you know, I've been in church all my life. I've never 
heard this mm. before. I've never heard a sermon on this before or anything about this. It's just new, you know. Yeah. And uh, again, it was like sort of discovering treasure. So we had a worship time before the message. And then I said to the guys, look, I'm preaching on the subject of, of worship. Let's make sure that we've got a little bit of time to have a response time afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so I, I preached through the seven words of praise. And then we had this worship time afterwards. And I'm telling you, Christy, mm. it was like, I, I, I mean, I, I thought the roof was going to come off the place. Wow. I mean, it, it, it was like the place, you know, you think about Isaiah 6 and the room fills with smoke and mm. you see the Lord and... Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just a whole nother level to anything that we've experienced before. Mm. You know, Jesus says in John 4 that, that the Father is, is seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth. Yeah. And I think when we grow in truth, mm. we worship deeper in spirit. Yeah. And, and I think we learned all these new things about mm. what praise actually is. And it's almost like people had permission. Yeah. And they were just like, oh, now it's on. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. and I had so many people that have, that have said to me on that Sunday that they've never been a hand raiser. You know, this is mm-hmm. like, it's not my scene. It's just not who I am. You know, and they said for the first time after hearing that message, yeah. I lifted my hands in the presence of the Lord. Yeah. And, and I've been a hand raiser ever since. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's biblical. Right. But yeah. It's so neat to have all like, I'm, I'm excited for people to get their hands on this because I feel like um, it's going to transform even just worship Monday through Saturday, right. you know, at home right. and in the car and at the kitchen sink. Because like you said, just like the deeper that we delve in to truth and the theology that we get to um, experience inside of music even yes. um, is so powerful. And when you start believing that truth, especially whatever you're walking through, your circumstance in that moment, um, I love Isaiah 61.3. It's Say it, it's tequila, right? Tequila. I was, yeah. I'm afraid I'm going to say tequila. Um, <laughs> That's the easiest way to remember it. <laughs> but I loved that um, Isaiah 61, I think for all of us, is probably one of our favorite passages. But it's a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, um, a garment of tequila. Yeah. Um, I, don't want, I don't want to spoil any of it, but like, tell just quickly like a little bit about tequila. It's one of the words. Yes. But I love it just because... Whatever you're going through in that moment, it's it, it brings such a specific light to the way I'm going to praise God when you know yes. what all these different... Yeah. Yeah, so they all mean something slightly different. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a little bit like having a toolbox of tools, you know, and you're able to take one for what you need mm-hmm. in terms of the way you're communicating with God. Mm-hmm. Tequila is the idea of, of singing a new song, mm-hmm. a spontaneous song. I love that. A song that just... It doesn't rhyme, mm-hmm. although when you do it, it probably does rhyme. But <laughs> the rest of us, the rest of us, it doesn't rhyme. It's not to a very good melody, but it just comes from the deepest part of your heart. Yeah. And you are, you are expressing your love, your affection, your gratitude. And it is not even necessarily a song that someone else has written. And it is a song that is just spilling out of you. Yeah. Uh, what I love about this is is also in in, in Psalm twenty two, mm. it says that uh, the 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 King James says that he he dwells in the tehillah of his people, mm. the praises of Israel. Yeah, and uh, this is this kind of praise, like the kind of praise where you're singing a spontaneous song. 
the Bible says, is the kind of praise that God inhabits. Mm. God himself comes and dwells. When you're, when you're expressing your heart with that much spontaneity and intimacy and truth and mm. gratitude, it's like God says, hey, I'm going to meet with you. Mm. I love that so much. Um, you, you wrote this with Chris Tomlin, our yes. mutual friend. Yes. Um, talk about just that you know, how that came to be. And just so Chris really goes through stories behind the songs, which I know will be all like beloved songs, yes. um, which is such a great idea. So people can kind of hear a story behind the yeah. song and it merges together. Like how was that working with Chris? It's, you guys are it's so, yeah, Chris and I have been friends for a long time and it's really funny because, uh, <laughs> I didn't imagine that we were going to be doing this together. This was a sermon you yeah, know? Totally. and it was really meaningful for me and that was it. Chris texts me as soon as this sermon is done, and he happens to be in town, which is even more rare than you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, so he's in town, and uh, and he happens to be in the room when I'm teaching on this subject, and I didn't know he was in town on this Sunday, and and he says, "How is it that I have never heard this before?" <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And he's embarrassed. Yeah. He's yeah. embarrassed. He's like, "This is what I do. Like this." <laughs> You know, it's it, like, he's looking at me like, this is part of what you do. This right. is all that I do. Right. How do I not know this? And, uh, and, and he said, this is going to be a book, man. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not just for our church. Mm-hmm. This is for the church. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's a cool idea. I said, well, you know, maybe we should write it together. And he's like, no, that's not what I was thinking. He's like, you write it, you know? And I'm like, maybe we should. So, we sort of shelved it for a while. It was like, ah, that's sort of funny. And, and, and then that was it. And then a couple of months later, we were um, vacationing near one another and, uh, and the, the subject just came up again. Mm. And I, I tell you, Christy, it has felt like we have had a tailwind from heaven ever since. Mm. It's just felt like God has breathed on this. I've mm. never been a part of a project before that has felt like this mm. from concept to you know starting to share it with people and and so what we did is i i shared each the like the theology of of each of these different words the the original context and 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 all of that chris uh, sort of similar to you with the song holy raw chris chris was 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 looking at the seven words and going i've written a song unknowingly on all seven of these words that's cool. And 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 so we, we we thought, well, what if you shared the story and the conditions around how these songs came about? So each chapter is is broken up into three points. It's it's the what the word means. It's Chris telling a story about how this word has played itself out in his songwriting, and then a third section is like a question, a, a, a collection of questions. Mm. So if you as a small group or you as a, a worship team. We're going to do this together, or you could do it as an individual, but there's a response time in each of the chapters as well. Yeah, that's what I love about it. Like I was saying, it could be like a devotion, or you yeah. could do it as a small group, and I love it so much. And I'm very thankful that you guys did this in such a short amount of time. Yes, like, we did. I'm glad that you took it off the shelf, and I'm so excited for people to get a hold of it. Um, before I let you go, I would love to know, because I think that this is something that... Um, a lot of people would want to know how can people pray for their pastors? Mm. Like what are some specific things that um, I know that that's, and first of all, I'm thankful um, that you take 
time for people. I know that that's not always the case with especially people that go to huge churches. This is a big church. Yeah. Um, but I do know that you do take time for people. I know that's hard, and, and you do have to still balance that. But I think a lot of people don't have access to their pastors. They don't. It's not like how we grew up in the yeah. small church. Right. Where, you know, my dad had, you know, people were calling him on Sunday night, right. you know, telling him about their troubles at home. Yeah. Um, so people, I think they don't know, you know, maybe what a pastor goes through. And um, I think that would just be something neat to hear from a pastor. Yeah. Like, I appreciate you asking that. You know, generally speaking, People don't reach out to me when life's going great. Mm-hmm. They, they, they reach out when life's falling apart and yeah. it's marriages or it's one of their children or it's a health issue mm-hmm. or it's a crisis of faith. And you can be one of these people that just hear sad stories all the time. Yeah. And, and, and that can be hard. So certainly praying for your pastor, um, for times of levity and joy and, and renewal, you know, yeah. there's a difference between relaxing and renewing. Um, you might find watching TV relaxing, but you typically don't feel deeply renewed right. after it. Mm. So praying that your pastor would have times of, of renewal. Mm. Um, I, I feel like my best sermons are when I come back from a vacation yeah. because I just feel God's presence and mm. renewed, you know, um, so I, I would I would say, you know, be, be praying for um, strength and renewal and encouragement. I, I believe that the the families and the marriages of pastors are under a specific attack of the enemy. Yeah. And it's like the enemy reserves a very specific kind of of attack mm. reserved for church leaders. Yeah. And, and we all know people that have had all kinds of problems in their marriages and, and in their, with their kids and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, you're a pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes pastor's kids get talked about, you know, almost sort of like a punchline, like they're expecting them to rebel and, and, yeah. and all of that. Uh, uh, praying for the family unit mm-hmm. to be preserved and, and for them to be experiencing the presence of God in their home, mm-hmm. that they would be preaching and calling people to the life that they are experiencing themselves, yeah. not a life that's in crisis and yet they're projecting perfection and, 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 and calling people to experience something that is not reality for them. Yeah, that's great. That's not easy to do. And then the other thing is, is, is less about prayer but more about just encourage your pastors. Like yeah. um, it, it, you can have weeks where you just hear sad stories all week. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to send an email of encouragement. When someone sends me an email of encouragement about a sermon, about something that's happened in our church or whatever, it always means something to me. That's I mean, great. it always does. I'm always really, really thankful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think people go, well, you're up the front, you get a lot of accolades and all of that sort of stuff. It can be actually quite lonely. Yeah. And um, I tend to, when I get criticized or when someone's criticizing something about our church, I tend to carry that and um, encouragement is, is just such a, like the spirit of encouragement, you can just sort of break that darkness that falls on you sometimes in this mm. job. Yeah, that's so great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. And I know that this book is going to be um, precious to people and I'm so excited for people to get a hold of it. And um, 
I just wanted to say thanks again for being a worshiper of Jesus and for leading our church in that way. And for, as you know, like as a worship leader too, I experience this all the time. It's just people almost do need permission, even Sunday to Sunday, to just go for it and to um, really, like you said, spirit and truth, experience Jesus and worship inside of even your circumstances. And um, thank you for leading us in that way. And thanks for no fog machine on the stage. (laughs) At least... Have we ever had one? Maybe a few Sundays. Never? Um, maybe. Maybe a couple it, it's times. It's not really our style. <laughs> we, we've cut a giant credit card, but we don't do fog machines. I just wanted to personally thank you for that. So, again, anyway. Hey, I, I would like to say one thing. Like, most of your listeners are listening from all over the country and all around the world, and, and they don't get to see you and and Nathan and your kids just doing life. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things I just want to say is that the Knuckles family are really involved in our church mm-hmm. and they serve with humility. They show up to things. They, they show up to, to gatherings at people's houses when we're doing, when we're talking about worship nights and they're just willing to serve. Mm-hmm. And um, you guys don't really get to see that. You kind of know, you know, some of you just sort of hear this voice on a podcast uh, the Knuckles family are really plugged into our church. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we, we love that about you guys. And, uh, I, and I want your listeners to know that. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time, and I'm so excited. And congratulations on this. And, yes, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for listening today. I pray that you've been so encouraged that God is connecting the dots by His Spirit and how He's engaging your heart how He's moving in and through you, and that instead of fearing what's ahead, even in terms of what God wants to do through you and how you represent Him to the world, that you remember that you are a worshiper above all things today. And as the beloved, you have these prayers that linger as tools today, even your own personal song of praise to God from your life. How beautiful is that? A melody that comes from your heart, words that may or may not have to rhyme, that can change the way you encounter God and the world today. I love that. I wanted to let you know quickly that I have a brand new web store up now on christineockles.com with very fun merchandise from the new album and also from this podcast. There is a darling Glorious in the Mundane sweatshirt up there and a darling little farmhouse mug that says the Glorious in the Mundane podcast Plus, the actual physical CD of Be Held Lullabies for the Beloved is available there now. I know it's already time to start thinking towards Christmas, so I wanted to share that with you. You can find it all at christinoffles.com. And speaking of Christmas, I just want to hint to be watching for Instagram and Facebook on upcoming news on all things Christmas and families and lullabies. If you are a patron of the Glorious and the Mundane podcast, you will actually be the first to know this news. So be looking for it. If you'd like to be a patron of the podcast, that's really just that you're a backer of this podcast. You're helping us bring it to the world. It's only $6 a month 
To do that, and you get some amazing perks. One of them is getting the podcast early, but also one of them is getting in on some news before others. You can find all of that at patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Christy Knuckles. So be sure to check that out. I hope you have a glorious rest of your day, and I'll talk to you soon.